This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We will have a very interesting episode as we will dive into running, what makes a resilient runner and how to become more resilient. And we have a brilliant guest for this episode. He has done his movement and rehabilitation sciences degree at KU Leuven in Belgium. And he's working as a customer success manager at RunEasy, which has created palm-sized 3D gate lab. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Philip Kortfriend. Welcome, Philip. Hi, Oli. Thank you for uh, this invitation uh, for this podcast. Perfect. Nice to nice to have you. So we have a little bit limited time so we can go directly into the team. So how, as an expert, you would define a resilient runner? Yes, that's a very good question, Oli. Um, Actually, yeah, what, what is a resilient runner is actually a runner that is resilient to injuries, that is trainable and has a certain biomechanical efficiency. So you can actually go into three subcomponents mm. and explain what is actually a good resilient runner. Yeah. So you said injury resistant, trainable, and what was the last one? Yeah. Biomechanical efficient. Yeah. So if we start from the injury resistance how how do you become injury resistant i think many of the listeners want to know as recreational runners yes so i first want to start with the the, the first subcomponent is actually a strong body so that's what we define as load tolerance so how much running load can we handle without experiencing injury pain or any discomfort mm. and it actually depends on a few things First of all, your tissue capacity. So, and tissue capacity, so all the structures in your body, and it's actually structure specific. So we have muscles, we have tendons, uh, we have bones, and each structure has its own uh, identity. Some structures heal better, some structures uh, are harder to heal. Think about a tendon. A tendon is harder to heal than, for example, a muscle injury. So we have to take always into account how is our current structural capacity and of course it depends on a few things first of all maybe to start with your training history yes so uh, a long training history of a higher volume or doing more training creates of course more long-term adaptations and it doesn't start from uh, when we uh, start running but already at a very young age so we develop some structural adaptations during our adolescence or youth when we are very active, just moving and not just running, but all the kind of movement uh, movements we do in our youth. Yeah. And how, how do you see the training history? Like, in a way, it's good that you are doing many kind of things. For example, if, you, if you're playing ball games, you have acceleration side, side to side. So the bones are strengthening in many different ways, but also in a way that 
for example, my training now is that it's changing so much. So I have always feeling the tendons because I'm changing from different modalities, different ways of doing things. So what, what would you say as the balance between kind of cross training and then just training your sport to, to become the, the best and the most injury resistant in, in long term? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so during our youth, uh, doing a lot of change of direction uh, movements, yeah, we, we strengthen our bones or tendons in, in different ways. So from the moment we start running, yeah, we do one type of movement. And if you always train at the same intensity, for example, the specific structures are trained differently. So when you do more change of direction, of course, the structures are loaded differently. So that can create some discomfort. That's an important one. Okay, how can you find the balance? I believe that uh, supplement uh, running training, which is, of course, really important to increase your aerobic uh, abilities, mm-hmm. is actually to supplement it with uh, specific strength training. And and how, how do you see strength training? It's this Achilles tendon, there's tendons in the foot, usually the kind of the small structures that are probably more injury prone than than the bigger structures i would i would guess so how do you actually train these small structures and how do you specifically train the tendons we always talk about training muscles and tendons take more time to heal usually they are the problem and how we train them is that we usually train the muscles and the tendons kind of get it as extra like like it happens but we don't specifically focus on tendons so how how would you do it in case of runners yeah so in research papers we have seen that actually heavy strength training and more plyometric type of training uh, the combination of the both can help uh, improve your uh, as well as structural adaptations as functional adaptations in the tendons and it's actually because the tenocytes which are the tendon cells uh, that regulates uh, tendon fiber synthesis so how we really Uh, create new uh, tendon fibers or we we, we uh, improve our tendon fibers it's actually ideally activated in a very short amount of time so you only have to do a short volume session of 10 to 15 minutes with heavy strengthening to improve actually uh, the tendon cell activity so in this way you create new or uh, improve your tendon cells that you have cur- uh, currently have so basically seems to be quite similar to bone loading that the yes. in, and intensity is much more important than the the volume and maybe for endurance runners it is not kind of logical because they have used that used to it that training the heart actually takes hours per day training the muscle tissue it takes long time so how, how how do you see this happening with the recreational runners elite runners do they do they do this correctly how how, how do you see it done in in general that's that's actually a very good question i think we should not go directly uh, from doing nothing in strength training to heavy strength training or plyometric training because of course it's a load and this load can also aggravate symptoms or uh the the structural adaptation so we need to build up that slowly that at a given moment we can do that heavy strength training that plyometric training and you can very start actually very simple okay we do first body weight exercises do start maybe with some really low plyometric exercises think about uh, rope skipping it's a very good one a very simple one uh but it trains our achilles tendons in a very efficient way 
So the combination of two modalities you can train without experiencing the negative effects. And could you give us an example, like what would be the training session of, you said, for example, 10 minutes a day for a recreational runner and for a elite runner. And if we consider that they would have been ramping this up, so this would be that they actually tolerate the training. How, how would the training session session look? I would start first with, uh, actually, you can start with some, some light plyometric exercise to really activate the musculoskeletal system. Mm. Uh, it's not a high load. Uh, so think about road skipping. You can start without really having a big warm up. But of course, if you do like high load plyometric exercises, yeah, the structure needs to be uh, warmed up very well to not get an injury from the plyometric training. So I would start with low load plyometric training. Because there, at that moment, there's no yet, there's not a fatigue yet. So uh, it's a great way to warm up. And then you can go to like a very, and, and I think here you can target like really specific exercise. Don't do too much exercises. Choose your exercise very wisely. If you want to improve, for example, your tendon structure, go for maybe some heel raises. Mm, yeah. And the difficulty to make it hard is there. Okay. Sometimes uh, in elite runners, I try to work in the gym so that you can use a leg press to do really high loaded uh, calf exercises or uh, using a Smith machine. So that's a, um, a bar that is supported within like uh, the just the movement upward, downward. Yeah. And how do, you, how do you see, for example, the heel races? There's quite many ways of doing it and, and even a small difference. Where do you have the feet that is the load kind of more on the toes or is it on the ball of the foot? And I think it really a lot affects how the foot itself is loaded. How would you strengthen the foot, the structures of the foot? Yeah, so that's actually a good thing because you train them together. Eh? You don't train isolated. Ah, oh, no, I train my calves. No, you can actually already train your uh, intrinsic foot muscles in the same way, the same with the fascia. Yeah. It all depends indeed on the how you do the exercise. And uh, first modality is, okay, how is my knee positioned? Yeah. So if your knee is more bended knee, then of course we can, and that's, that's of course hard to isolate specific muscle groups, but we can focus more on the soleus muscle. So we don't train too much. Uh, so the soleus muscle is one important muscle that needs to be trained. And um, in terms of Achilles tendon injuries, there is often a weakness in that specific uh, part of uh, the, the calf muscles. Mm. So knee position is very important. Second, how far do you go in your exercise? So do you do full range of motion, not full of range of, uh, full range of motion? And if you go full, in full of range of motion, you also need to think, okay, is he doing this actively or is he just hanging in the joint? So a fluent movement will help actually keeping it very active. So don't wait too long at the bottom, just go up and down, but integrate as much as possible the full range of motion to also yeah, load the structures in the foot itself. Yeah, so sounds interesting. So you could do heel raises, you could do light plyometrics, you can move to harder plyometrics. And have you tried like, maybe, maybe good to define for the listeners, not everybody maybe, familiar with the plyometrics so it's basically bouncing jumping jumping exercises is the plyometrics have have you tried measuring the load with run easy system that you are you actually kind of 
measuring how much there is loading in the plyometrics training. You mean during the exercises itself? Yeah, during exercises. So you could basically measure the ground reaction force that how how hard is is the jumping and you could maybe build up kind of a progressive training and actually really see the loading because like said it depends really how you do it how you use your ankle when you land how thick is your shoe and and so on yeah indeed uh so uh, r- with Ranisi we we measure like during the, the actually the plyometric movement or the plyometric capacity during the movement running movement itself hmm so we we are not currently using our system to measure the loading during uh, during jumping activities, but what we do is okay. We want to see what is the effects of the plyometric sessions on the running itself. So we want to see is the plyometric capacity restored uh, or or utilized during the running movement itself, because that is what ultimately also matter in terms of uh, movement quality. So the utilization of your plyometric uh, capacity. Yeah, so, sounds good. So I'm looking at our notes. So we started from the injury resistance, and now we have been discussing the the load tolerance, how you how you need to strengthen your bones, tendons, muscles. It's affected by training history, about your current training, and you should do it progressively to strengthen. Do you do you have anything you would like to add in this load? tolerance before we go into into the trainability of of runner yeah i think the, the the most important thing is it's not on just what you do but your recovery strategy is also very important so training is actually you reduce your structural capacity at a given moment but with some super compensation you build up your capacity but if you don't consider your recovery then this causes problems. So this is actually the biggest mistake in um, in training is that we don't give our body enough recovery. And how do you consider the recovery? Is it for runners basically not not running or not not doing the intensive plyometrics? Or how how, how do you see the recovery in in this case? Yeah, if you think about uh, within a week um, programming. Think about, okay, when do I do my strength session? Is it uh, combined with uh, a big interval session or after an interval session? Mm. I don't think that's a good idea, especially after um, an interval session because uh, uh, your structural capacity is already decreased. And if you do then again a a strength session, yeah, the, the recovery time to recover from the combination of the two sessions it's too high, so you can't train the days after. So you have to really consider, okay, I need to recover one or two days to really have uh, my adaptations. Hmm. So think about inter- separated interval sessions with high heavy loading stre- strength sessions. Yeah, makes makes totally sense. So so then we can you move to trainability. Let let us know how do you how do you define trainability and what are the what are the considerations. Yeah, so the first component was actually uh, your low tolerance. So you need to have a strong body. When you have a strong body, of course, you can handle more without having injury, pain or discomfort. But the second thing is actually having a good movement quality is also an important um, parameter or uh, an important thing in your um, ability to be resilient. Mm. Because you should be capable of transferring the forces very well over the body. So we don't want to overload a specific structure too much. We want to reduce 
the global loading as much as possible. And uh, this is actually a very interesting thing. What we did with RunEasy is actually we developed a RunEasy running quality score. And this is actually a score that says how well you are um, at this moment moved by mechanically. So it's actually an output of how we adapt to the running load. So how would you define it? So if you give we go extremes, how, how would a bad running quality score look and how it would be defined and how would be perfect? perfect running running quality score be yeah. so we have actually three main components in our um, determination of this uh, running quality yeah so the first one is actually dynamic stability in this parameter so what we measure is with the accelerometer we measure at uh, the pelvic level and the dynamic stability is actually a measure of the medial lateral mm. movements of the hip yeah and we did actually quite some research on it so we defined or we, we found that having a high medial lateral uh, acceleration reduces your running efficiency. So in terms of performance, yeah, you want to have less movement uh, of the medial lateral uh, motion of the hip. But what was also very interesting is was we didn't only look at the running efficiency. We also checked with a prospective study that who, who got injured, who didn't got injured. And what we found in this paper is actually that people who had a high mediolateral um, acceleration signal or mediolateral movement had actually a high risk for getting an injury in multi-sports. Yeah. And, and did they have some specific injury? Was, did you find some, that some part is usually injured with this or was it in, in general? So actually there was overall in, in uh, all kind of overuse injuries in the low limbs. So we define it as Achilles tendon problems, uh, knee problems, uh, fascia. So, and that's what we often see also in, in research is that uh, one specific biomechanical risk factor can play a role in different injuries. So do you think that this dynamic stability is the factor causing the injuries or do you think it works as a proxy for kind of general inability to control the body during the movement? Like, is it, is it more like a measure of generic control of your core, of your, of your feet, or do you think actually the swaying is causing the injury in itself? Yeah, actually both. Eh? First of all, it's uh, what, what you said. It's actually in how efficient are our lower limbs and, and our upper body moves. Eh? Think about the spinal engine. Your coordination between the shoulders and the hips is very important. If this is not well coordinated, of course, it reduces or in, in, in increases actually that mediolateral uh, movement. So it actually is a kind of an efficiency metric that causes that is a cause of uh, injuries. Yeah, that, that is interesting. And so dynamic stability is one important, and then you have two, two different factors, yeah. Yes, so that was the first component. Then the second component is also very interesting. It's actually the impact loading. So what we measure is also the, the vertical signal. First of all, how much of the impact reaches the pelvis, but what is also more interesting is how we absorb it. So are we an efficient absorber or are we very poor in our uh, impact absorption? And and how do you measure the impact absorption? I'm, I'm trying to quickly think that the leg is hitting the ground or the foot yes. is hitting the ground. It is transferred to the pelvis. 
Yeah. How do you then measure the absorption? Is it kind of the signal after the first impact or how, how do you measure it? Yeah. So how we define as impact, and that's what we call impact duration. So the time we first place or we have our first contact or initial contact, then there is actually a time delay. Hmm. So it's not directly the signal is there. Now we see a slope and it's going building up and building up. So we decelerate our center of mass and then we reach a peak. That's what we call the impact peak. And actually the timing component from uh, from uh, our foot placement till reaching that peak impact, that's actually how we define how well we are actually absorbing. Is it an fluent or an efficient absorption or is it a really abrupt and hard um, impact absorption? Yeah, could be could be easier. We don't have the visuals in, in an audio podcast. So, so basically there's the first impact and then the peak it de- decelerates and until some point and what what is defining this is it is it kind of our use of tendons and the kind of the tendonal structures in in a smooth way or what is what is defining this impact absorption yeah that's a very good question and the, here it becomes a bit more complex because it's an interplay of how we move and how we utilize actually our active system. So I see two main components in that impact absorption is your first initial contact. So how is your foot at that moment positioned compared to your center of mass? Is it too much in front of you? Think about overstriding. How is our knee joint at that moment? And we look at that first contact, if that's already an efficient, inefficient position, that of course can uh, reduce uh, the impact absorption. Yeah, and do you see that in this one it's important where does the the foot hit the crowd? Is it under your body or is it in front of your body? Do you do you see this as an important factor? So, so we see actually correlation, uh, and I can take like two s- separate groups. Think about recreational runners that we, where we more often see overstriding pattern. In elite runners, we don't see that very often, and there we can clearly see a clear difference in the impact absorption. So. The first contact is a really important one, but that's not the only thing that is important because we sometimes see that actually the foot placement, etc., and the positioning of the different segments is okay, but still they have a poor impact absorption. Uh, the, the, the impact duration is still very short. And there comes the role of the, uh, the first contact, the first active system that needs to really absorb the first part of the shock, and which are the foot and the, the calf muscles. Yeah, I, I think this is this is very interesting. And I, I remember my I had a friend who was pretty good four hundred meter runner and I went in the gym to do do training and we did some plyometrics and I was so surprised about the smoothness of the plyometrics because in my head I, I knew kind of the biomechanics of the plyometrics, but still I was trying to use force. I was trying to really really jump and his movement was there was not much sound and still he was able to jump really high and it was really smooth. So I think this is also about the impact loading that even in the plyometrics, he was just so smooth and there was it was very silent. Yeah. So that's actually a very interesting thing. It's not about our capacity of our body, but it's how we use utilize it actually. So there is an intramuscular control, but also the intramuscular. So... Actually, that's what we see with elite runners. Uh, why 
do they um, are better in this because they train a lot on this. They are very smooth. They are actually built for doing this plyometric type of exercises. And that's actually what we can clearly see also in the impact duration in running. They are actually made of doing uh, running this smoothly. Yeah, I, I, I have the run easy set. I, I will try it in the plyometrics that how do I see the difference of doing doing the plyometrics smooth or then kind of forcefully. But if we go to the third component, we have covered now the dynamic stability and impact loading. What was the third component? Yeah, so the third component, that's maybe something that uh, we talk a lot as physiotherapists, uh, asymmetry. Yeah. So we look at uh, the asymmetry between left and right uh, in the, the main components. It's not a holy grail asymmetry. Eh? There is a natural asymmetry in our bodies. But uh, also there, why we incorporate this is actually with injury, there can be compensation strategies that are as more uh, asymmetry than normal in, in, in your uh, uh, running gait. And there was one study that also looked at... Uh, Symmetry parameters with pelvic accelerations, and they actually saw that when there was more asymmetry, there was actually a less efficient uh, running technique. So, uh, in terms of running efficiency and not only injury perspective, it's also very important that we don't have too much asymmetry in our outputs. All right, and just to clarify, you only have one sensor that is on the waist, so you cannot really measure kind of the movement of the legs separately so i assume you are just analyzing the left and right yeah. foot hitting the ground separately and then comparing all the all the variables between yes them. indeed that's what we do so uh, we we with run easy we we have chosen for um uh, the trade-off between a simple but effective solution with one sensor compared to like okay multi-sensor usage so we, we uh, think about the impact dynamic stabilities. We choose actually the, the pelvis because we know from there, okay, compensations below in the lower limbs can affect what will happen uh, or what we uh, see at pelvic level. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be great help for us we have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes so be sure to tune in thank you all for your support and have a great day